0: We have the distinct honour of having the amazing Jacqueline Harvey to give our featured address, and it's my pleasure to introduce her. I'm not sure if you're like me, you probably um, owe a thanks to this lady. I know in my time in schools, I had so many students who absolutely adored her books, um, so I think she's a treasure in many ways. So, her introduction. Jacqueline Harvey worked in schools for many years, and has had a passion for storytelling since she was a child. She is the author of the popular Alice Miranda and Clementine Rose series. Series yes. oh. <laughs> Which have sold over one million copies in Australia alone. So that's oh, 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 well, cool. Her books have received numerous shortlistings and awards and the picture book, The Sand of the Sea, was a CBCA, CBCA honour book. Jacqueline is a passionate supporter of libraries and reading and we are extremely privileged to have her join us here today. I would like to welcome her to the stage today to give our featured address. Thank you. pleasure to be here today. Uh, I love speaking to like-minded people, um, people who value books and value literacy. And uh, so today I'm, I'm, going to show uh, I'm going to tell you a few stories. I'm going to tell you how did I get to this place in my life and where I'm at now. So yes, I was a teacher for a really long time and uh, I became a teacher because that lady there on the screen, she encouraged that little girl there. To love school and to love education. And I can't, I mean, you are teachers, you know the power of a great teacher. Um, I was actually a kid who hated school up until the middle of fourth grade when I moved to school. And I went from having literally the scariest teacher in Australia, a bloke about seven feet tall, who uh, was very liberal with his use of the cane, to going to Mrs. Hogan, who I adored. And, you know, she could she was way ahead of her time, this woman. She could well, she sang, she painted, she drew, she made videos. She made films with our class when that was you know Super 8. Um, but my favourite part of every day was when she used to pull up the great big old chair that she had, and we would roll out those. Um, I don't know if you had these in Victoria, but we had these really scuzzy sort of um, carpet mats that we used to roll out, and we would sit on the floor and listen to stories. And I still remember um, the, the, the serialisation that she did of Colin Thiele's February Dragon still that is in my head to this day. So I fell in love with the idea of of books and stories when I was a kid. But becoming an author was a very mysterious career path. I had no idea how you would possibly even think to do that. And I actually used to think that all authors lived in cottages in the woods in England or something. (laughs) So I I became a teacher. And uh, I was a primary school teacher from uh, 1990 to 2000. And then I became a deputy headmistress of a a pretty big girls' school in Sydney for the next, uh, what, nearly nine nine years, eight eight and a half years, I think it was. While I was deputy head, though, I taught in the library for five years. And so it was an absolute joy that my, you know, my teaching load was to work with, I think mostly it was K, uh, two, four, and six every year in the library, and I absolutely adored it. Uh, I also got to help organise a big literary festival the um, Abbott's Literary Festival, which uh, I'm actually going back to next week to be a speaker at. Um, And I was one of the founding speakers at the Indigenous Literacy Day uh, when that first started, uh, when Susie Wilson first started that that up. So I was really lucky to have a broad experience of working with books and in the library. Um, My favorite library programs that I ever worked on, they were always the ones that were fully integrated in the classroom, working with the classroom teacher. Literature units. That was my passion, was literature and being able to, you know, take books that I loved and be able to work on those with the kids. We did a picture book project that lasted a whole year with Year 6. And so we spent the first term analysing picture books and looking at what made a great picture book. And then we spent uh, the next term, they drafted their own picture books and they worked on them for you know, a considerable length of time. Then they had to illustrate them. And uh, and at the end, they were published properly as books. So that was a huge sense of achievement for those kids um, to be able to do that. I don't know if you ever came upon this uh, this particular program, but Stories on Screen was actually a program, it was a competition with the CBCA in New South Wales. I, uh, I had a group of year six girls who, pil- I wrote the competition, sort of what it would be, and then they had to pilot it. And I can't tell you how annoyed they were when they found out that they actually were ineligible to win it. <laughs> so, because I said, no girls, I'm sorry, no. no we, we actually wrote this, we piloted it. Um, many years ago, and interestingly, I've actually spoken at your Slav conference once before, and I don't know if any of you were here that time, but uh, I talked about a project that I had done with Marcus Suzak on the book, Thief. Uh, with a Year 6 class, and the Year 6 teacher came down with me. So, um, um, and that was, I mean, I, I, a lot of the time I think, oh, you know, the book thing is it's way too hard for, for junior, for, for younger kids. We didn't study the book. We studied themes from the book and excerpts from the book. And that was one of my favourite projects that we ever did. Probably helped along by the fact that Marx is a good friend of mine and he actually came to work with the kids. So, I can't tell you the power of having the author come and work with those kids. It was just fantastic. I thought I'd put a little picture there of uh, the book that I wrote, The Sound of the Sea. Now, as an educator and an author, I absolutely believe that the library should be the beating heart of every primary school in Australia. But I think it's really hard these days, and the worth of the library is so dependent on what the head of the school values, what the school leadership values, and I've seen lots of people nodding their heads here. I think you're frequently understaffed and under-resourced and sadly seen as expendable. And this is from my experience of going into loads of schools across Australia, not just across Australia, but around the world in the last, particularly in the last five and a half years. Um, they're often under threat from other subjects, so I, I don't know if you've had the experience of, you know, oh, would you rather have a PE teacher or would you rather have a librarian? Well, in my books, you need a librarian. Uh, literature often comes second to research skills. And I'm not arguing that research skills aren't important, they are, but the, the, the statistics, the data is there to show that kids who read, kids who read for pleasure do better in life than kids who don't. Um, lots of new ideas and trends, such as Makerspace, are really impinging on library time. If you want to see that done well, um, I was in Queensland last week with Megan Daly, who uh, runs a magnificent website called Children's Books, Children's Books Daily. She's a librarian at St. Albans. And I said to Megan, you know, how did you feel when Makerspace sort of started taking over your library? And she said, no, nope. I embraced it. I embraced it and now we've worked out a way that it's going to, you know, coexist together. And she's very fortunate. She has a magnificent teaching partner who focuses on the Makerspace. She works mostly on the literature and the library part of, of the, their school. I think curriculum integration is key to maintaining the library's relevance and importance. Working with your teachers and bringing them on board constantly. And I think it's really vital to embrace the new, but fight for the books, fight for the stories. Keep the library relevant and dynamic and interesting. Make sure you keep abreast of the the new books that are coming out. And and I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted in this room. It's the people that aren't here that we need to get to. Um, Things like the Children's Books Daily Blog. Your Kids Next Read is another great uh, Facebook page. The Read Plus Review book uh, review Blog. Um, Having your kids involved in the PRC is fantastic. Using the ABC resources. Um, I, I filmed a, um, a short clip for them for, uh, for Book Week just the other day at the Sydney Rose Festival. I, I can't stress the value of author visits, you know, the way that it changes kids' views of reading and books. And to me, uh, uh, I love it when I get introduced in a school, I was in a school the other day and the, the librarian said, we've got a real live author, and I said, as opposed to all the dead ones that I <laughs> So I think that, that makes a huge difference for kids. Um, and writing competitions. I have to tell you, there's a brilliant writing competition that I've um, uh, we've just started promoting, in conjunction with my publisher at Penguin Random House. It's with the magazine Just Kidding. It's a 500 word story writing competition. There are three categories, seven and eights, nines and tens, 11 and 12s. There are three mentors, myself, Tristan Banks, Oliver Pomavan. The entry is at the end of August, the prizes are amazing. The kids are going to get their books published, they're going to get interviewed in the magazine as an author, as a published author. They're going to get book packs for their schools and books for themselves and get to meet their mentor, be it over the screen or in person. So, all great ways that you can keep things humming along in your school. Um, My overseas and interstate experience has been interesting. I've spoken in well over a thousand schools around the world since 2005. I librarians don't exist in primary schools in the UK. They just don't. They don't even register. Um, I've been in schools in the UK where the library has been a box of books in the corner of a room. It's heartbreaking. When you do come across the odd librarian in a primary school, I did. I went to a school and this woman said, "Oh, I'm a librarian." I said, "That's fantastic, Lib." You know, a teacher said, "No, i was a landscape architect." I said, "Why, why are you in a school?" Well. It would be a fun change of career. And I thought, oh, good grief. Anyway, um, yeah, the UK is really hard up, and it's showing in their literacy statistics and how you know it's just bad. It's bad news for everybody. I want to say though one thing in the UK. Boys aren't as hung up about the girls' book, boys' book thing as they are in Australia. Um, I read an article that was published last week about uh, books for boys and books for girls and why we have to stop saying that and encourage boys. There's also a great article that's just come out about um, tomboys and how girls are encouraged to be tomboys, but in the last 40 years, we haven't actually encouraged boys to embrace much girly stuff. So, um, yeah, if you you want to see any of that, it's all on my Facebook page. The US seems to have quite good systems, resources, and similar values to Australia. Uh, I remember going to libraries in Chicago and they were magnificent. International schools are the best resource libraries in the entire world. The Canadian International School in Singapore, um, its library is bigger and better resourced than the Singapore National Library. And yeah, I, I remember going in there. It's two stories, and it has like a, it has a, I think it's got a fireman's pole between one level and the other that so the kids can, you know, slide down. It's, it's unbelievable. The Australian experience varies so wildly between states. I actually, I, I cry for Victorian experience at the moment. I think there's a lot of schools that aren't aren't. Um, you know, uh, employing librarians. Western Australia is pretty bad at the moment too. New South Wales seems to be better, but you know, it's it's about trying to make libraries relevant and make sure that the the powers that be know the importance of the library. And to that end, there's actually um, a really big movement starting at the moment. I don't know if any of you've been on the emails with Holly Godfrey, who's a librarian in the ACT. There's a big movement starting, and it's a school library advocacy movement, and it's going to launch in about the end of October, 22nd of October. Just Google the name Holly Godfrey and see what comes up. But that's something, she's already asked a whole of authors to come on board with it. And you know, as authors, we want libraries to exist, not only to exist, but to thrive. Um, generally, I think in Australia, we are still better off than a lot of parts of the world, which I know is sad when you think that lots of places are losing their librarians. So what happened after I finished becoming a deputy, finished being a deputy headmistress? Um, lots of other things happened. I had a different job for a while. I was a director of development. I've been published since 2003, but I actually never really considered myself a writer until I put it on, my, um, on the form when I was leaving the country once, on the immigration form, that I, I was an author, wow. Um, I've published a lot of books, been busy, done some audio books, done some television options, and yeah, sold a million books, which has been pretty incredible. Um, so why do I write the kinds of books that I write? I always wanted to write books that were reminiscent of stories that I had loved when I was a child. So I wanted to write books that were full of mystery and adventure. You can probably see what I loved as a kid. I loved Edward Blyton. I loved, um, I, I loved uh, Heidi was one of my favourite books in the whole world. I loved uh, Black Beauty, Anne of Green Gables. I wanted to write books that were funny and the kids were in charge. Lots of food in my stories. Family, friends, animals, romance, interesting locations. I spend a lot of time, I have spent a lot of time traveling in the last five or so years, so I use a lot of overseas destinations in my stories, but I make sure that it's very authentic. And I've got to tell you, as an author, Google Maps and Street View is my best friend. I've just been writing um, Kenzie Max number two, which is set in Rome. I have been to Rome, but it was about eight years ago. One screen, I had Google Maps up the whole time, and if ever I wanted to sort of think about, oh, now the kids are walking down this street, I would just put it on street view and be able to see the sorts of places we pass. Great resource to use with kids who want to think about place in a story. Uh, I like my stories to have a bit of romance, uh, evil baddies, quirky characters, and trouble. So, um, they're, they're really for me, I suppose when I started out to write, I just I didn't write for anybody else, I wrote to please myself. And when I wrote Alice Miranda, I actually took about two and a half years to write the first book, because I was working full time, I could only work on the stories in the holidays, and I, I kind of thought, well, what is it that you would have wanted to read if you were nine or 10 or 11 years of age? And I, I think that kind of, that's how that worked for me, that was, that was the best thing to do, not think about who the audience was, but to think about what I would have loved. So I wanted to to you a bit about what was the inspiration behind the, my new book, Kenzie and Max, which came out in uh, in March, and the second one will be out in September. So I wanted to write a spy series. I actually had the characters Kenzie and Max in my head for about eight oh, years, probably even before Alice Miranda, and I just didn't know what to do with them. And I had these twins, they're 11-year-old twins. Um, I knew it was gonna be a mystery, of course, but the whole spy element had a, an interesting Uh, way that it came about. So one of the things I like to do when I'm writing a story, I like to imagine in my head, well, what is that place? What does it look like? And then I go searching online and I look for a place that kind of matches what's in my head. So Kenzie and Max in the beginning of this story find themselves in about two o'clock in the morning, they find themselves at a a great big mansion, which they think is a hotel. And this is the, the building that was in my, it was sort of, you know, in my head that kind of building, and then I searched online for it. It's actually called Summer Layton Hall, and it's in, it's in Sussex. But in my, in my story, it's called Alexandria, and it's in North Yorkshire. And so, I've used um, this real place as as the beginning of the story in the setting. Kenzie and Max, uh, they have an unusual life, these two. They, their parents are. Uh, their mother is a doctor, and their dad's a paramedic. Nothing too unusual about that. But their parents work in ski resorts all around the world, and the kids have never questioned. You know, they're 11 years old. They've had this pretty amazing life. Every six months, they move somewhere else. But now they've gotten to 11, they're kind of thinking we could stay in the same place for a while. A bit sick of this, you know, always going somewhere new. And anyway, they, the upshot of it is, they get. They talk their parents into letting them stay at their most recent school, which is actually Jindabyne Central School in in, uh, in New South Wales. And they've been working in Threadbow. Mum and Dad go off on a holiday and then to work with a children's medical charity in Africa. They don't get left at home on their own. They have a manny, and their manny's name is Fitz. He's always lived with them. Um, he, the kids think that he's their dad's best friend, and there's a bit more to it than that. Anyway, Fitz looks after them. They're all going to meet in Switzerland at Zermatt, in Zermatt on a particular date. They go there, Mum and Dad are up there. Fitz immediately says, right, kids get in the car, we're going to England. They're like, get in the car? How do you get to England in the car? And they realise they're going to drive 16 hours across Switzerland, France, through the tunnel, and all the way to this place in North Yorkshire, which they think is a hotel. It's not a hotel, but um, I will leave you to read some of it yourselves and see uh, see what you think. They go very quickly to London, and... um, one of the things that we've done in the books is we've got maps at the beginning so that kids can sort of orient themselves to the areas. And in this book and in the second book, most of the action takes place in a very small part of a city. So uh, within a few square miles in a city. I will say that uh, the inspiration for this story, I don't usually get my best ideas going to the pub, but I did win for this book. And uh, I went to this pub in New called the Monmouth Arms I was staying in uh, just near Mil- in Millbank. Um, I was working. I, I was over there on a book tour with Random House. Random House had a, a flat that authors could stay in, just around the corner from this pub. So my husband and I went there for lunch one day, and their restaurant is called the Spying Room. And I thought, who calls their restaurant? What, what, what do I? It's called the Spying Room. Even stranger, when we got upstairs and we, we were sitting in the middle window on the second floor. And our, our table sort of faced out, you know, it was long this way and faced out across the river. And they gave you a pair of binoculars on your table. And I was like, are you are supposed to spy on other people's lunch and see whether it looks any good? No, you meant to spy on this place because it sits directly across the river from MI6. And the publican, over the times that we went there, we probably went there half a dozen times over the last sort of four years or so, Republican was this bloke called Gary, and Gary and I became quite friendly, and I said to him one day, I'm going to write this pub into a book one day, and he's like, oh, that's a great idea. (laughs) Anyway, he said to me, I said, I think I'm going to write a spy series, and he said, oh, I'll tell you something interesting about MI6. He said, i worked in this pub for 16 years. He said, in 16 years, the lights go on and off. He said, computer screens go on and off. He said, but you know what? There's never anybody in that building. I thought, of course not. Why would you tell the whole world that that's where your spies are? I mean, we've all seen it in the James Bond movie and the start of the um, London Olympics. And I thought, what if the spies were actually somewhere you'd never expect? And so the spies are actually under a school around the corner. And the spies are kids, or oh, the trainee spies are kids. Another interesting thing just about that pub you can see the picture on the top right hand corner. That's in the cell- cellars of the pub, but that's not just the cellar. Those were cells. So the picture at the bottom is a picture of the um, Millbank prison. And the Millbank prison stood where the Tate Gallery now is, which is a beautiful, you know, classical baroque style building. But the, um, the, the the pub was the, the officer's pub. And the officers used to drink in that pub. There were tunnels under the roadway from the Millbank prison. They would march the prisoners down to be held in those cells. Before they then took them across the the street to the river, where the ships, the convict ships to Australia were all queued up there. And there's a great big bollard on the river that says this is the last place in England that the convicts ever touched before they were taken to Australia. I find that really fascinating because my six times great-grandfather was a convict on the first fleet called Matthew Everingham. He stole two books in London, and that's why he ended up transported to Australia. He wouldn't have gone from there because um, the Millbank prison wasn't built to the early eighteen hundreds. But I have uh, another convict great, something or other, grandmother. She's the subject of a book called I think it's called like Wenches and Rapple Rouses, and uh, she started a prison riot in Tasmania, so she was a bit of a, a feisty lady. Um, so anyway, lots of interesting history in the story, and that's something I try to do in every book that I write. I try and make sure that there are elements of fact in there that you can study with the kids as well so anyway MI6 is in there as I mentioned uh, second Kenzie Max is coming out in September I, I actually have the manuscript for it in my bag run under my feet at the moment I'm, I'm just at the structural edit stage at the moment um, what else was going to tell you oh for those of you who have kids in like clintine Rose. Um, I, I feel, I'm feeling really guilty about this. I was meant to have Clementine Rose come out in August, and I've just been so busy with Kenzie Max and writing the Little Styles Miranda. So it's going to come out in December, but it looks like this. We've got the cover. It's called Clementine Rose and Bake Off Dilemma. Um, think of any bad pun for buns in the oven, and that'll have you covered on this story. Mum might have a paper. Um, ours, uh, the other thing is we do have teacher's notes, and one of the things people around the house do really well is teacher's notes for uh, uh, loads of the books that they put out, so um, if you want to use Clementine Rose, there is one called The Treasure Box, which fits nicely with the Book Week theme this year. Um, And also, Alice Miranda, you may have noticed out there that Alice Alice Miranda in Scotland has just come out. In fact, it's the official launch chase today. So uh, we could could officially say, Alice Miranda, well done, you're out there in the world. Uh, I had a ball writing this book. When I I write a book, I like to immerse myself in the culture. I spent hours listening to um, people speaking with really Scottish accents. Because when I write a book, I read it out loud. And so I like to be able to read it in the voices. And I was really struggling with the Scottish accent for a while. I'm, I'm quite reasonable with an Irish accent, but the Scottish one was doing my hair. So I listened to a clip with a little girl and her dad. Um, and he's a comedian, and she was only three. And this little clip sort of went along these lines. She said, Dad, I don't understand about Easter. And she said, he said, I love what's wrong with Easter. I don't understand the characters. What characters? Well, my like Jesus, and Easter used running like best pals. <laughs> anyway, it goes on like that. So I have listened to it so many times, so when I have to record the audiobook, I'll be all good <laughs> on the Alice End of Scotland. Um, also, I, as I said, I use a lot of photographs to inspire things. So it's set, you know, partly at Edinburgh Castle. There's a Highland dancing. Tomorrow I'm having a launch at Dimmets in George Street in Sydney and we've got a Highland dancing trip. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we weren't allowed to have a band, Um I think that's a classic. That guy's cheesy. That's a chipmunk. Caver tossing, that was another thing. One of, the, uh, one of the teachers in Alice Miranda, the female teacher's name is Beneath the Wall. Um, <laughs> she's... Just imagine her, really, you know? And so she does a caber toss. When the kids are practicing for the Highland Games, she tosses the caber, except she tosses it so far she takes the rugby post out at the end of the field. So um, Loch Ness monster action in there. Uh, I had to put in golf. I'm a mad keen golfer, and uh, I had my best golfing moment of my life at St Andrews, so um, I had to put in a bit of golf. And uh, this place called New Lannock, uh, which if you've ever been to Scotland, is one of the most gorgeous places. It's a World Heritage listed site. And a lot of the action in the end of the story takes place there. Lots of friends. What I've managed to do with this book, I've brought lots of Alice friend's, friends from around the world back together. The cutest thing ever is that there are two characters in Alice called Lucas and Jacinta. For ages, I, I, I would get these emails from kids, we ship Lucinta. I was like, what does that mean? We ship?" Like, we approve of the relationship between Lucas and Jacinta. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god. Anyway, now I've got kids writing. write to me, is there any like, romance with Lucas and Jacinta in this book? It's like, mm-hmm. In fact, in this book, they have their first proper kiss, but it's so innocent, I can't tell you. It's, it's quite hilarious, but really innocent. And uh, so I should satisfy the Lucinta fans in this one. Again, some teacher's notes. If you want to find out more about me or what your students do, uh, I have a website with lots of information on there. I recommend sign up to the newsletter. Get your kids to sign up to the newsletter. Um, There's lots of information. That competition is all uh, listed on the newsletter. I I have competitions each month. I reckon I would I send at least three, if not five, books to kids all around, not just Australia but around the world, who win prizes every month. We have events, birthday wishes, previews of new books, writing tips, etc. etc. Festival and school presentations. I do lots of talks in schools, as you've heard, over a, well over a thousand in the last five and a half years. I do workshops, writers' workshops in schools as well. Um, these are some of the places I've presented, um, and I'm presenting in every type of school, like from a tiny little school to great big schools. In fact, there's a picture here, um, the picture on the bottom right-hand side, that's the biggest single presentation I've ever done in a school. It was at a girls' school in Singapore. There were 1,500 kids in that presentation, and there was no air conditioning in that form. Um It was not, yeah, it was pretty full of, But that's a picture of Tristan Banks and I doing the Sydney Writers' Festival. I'm one of those people. I thrive on a really big crowd. Lots of people go, Ooh, I hate talking, and I'm like, no, bring it on. The bigger the better. Um, as an author, there's a lot more things that you do these days than just write. So you know, festivals are one thing. Bookshop events and launches. You might notice there's a quite handsome looking guy in the middle of the picture there. Does anyone recognise him? Anyone know who that is? Someone's whispering. No, you don't recognise him? Marcus. It's Marcus Zuzak. He's about to bring out his first book in 13 years. So uh, he actually launched Alice Miranda for me. So uh, there you go. Uh, the media is another fun thing that we get to do. Uh, I was telling my taxi driver yesterday, we were looking at the, 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 style, the Melbourne star as we came in. He said, oh, I've never been on that. I said, oh, I went on it last time I was down here, but I went on it with a film crew with Channel 9 and we, we did a, a lap for a, a TV theme. Um, the other thing that I, I do is quite a few different charities. One of them is that I'm an ambassador for Dimmick's children's charities, and I uh, also am an ambassador for Room to Read there. So we do sort of one in Australia and one outside of Australia. And other jobs you do as an author these days, answering fan mail, maintaining your website, publicising events, social media, giving interviews, and most importantly, writing the books. So um, just to finish up, thank you so much for, for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to the converted, and I know that you know, you're know you all working so hard to make and keep libraries relevant in your school, and I wish you all the very best. And, uh, yeah, just keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jacqueline. Hopefully you all enjoyed that very much.